Well, how many times have you gathered someone around your phone or maybe around um, an iPad or a computer and said, hey, there's this video, you've got to see this. How many times has that happened? Maybe it was a hearing impaired baby who got her first uh, implant and she heard her mother's voice for the first time. Maybe it was a bulldog riding a skateboard along a sunny boardwalk. Maybe it was a, um, a gender reveal mishap that just makes you go, oh, ouch, that looked like it hurt. Or maybe a bridal party dance routine that you're like, no way, not at my wedding ever. That's actually amazing. So the thing is, is that videos like that, they offer a particular promise, which is this, watch and be delighted. But there's often a typical teaser to keep you engaged. And that teaser is, wait for it. That statement, wait for it, is both instructive and cautionary. It's instructive in that it tells us, wait for it, that there's something that's coming, something that's worth waiting for. Think of the last video that you watched only to be slightly bored. Your attention started to fade, your curiosity started to decrease, or maybe you had said to friends, hey, watch this video, and then that awkward moment when you sensed socially, they were like, yeah, this has taken too long, and you said to them, no, 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 wait for it, wait for it. It's the promise that something is yet to come. The statement, wait for it, is also cautionary because we tend to draw quick reactions to whether or not something is worthwhile. Maybe you draw the wrong conclusion. No, I don't want to watch this. Wait for it. It says, no, stay with it. Or maybe you've had it happen before where you've grown tired of a video, walked away from a group of people, only to hear them just as you walk away, break out in uproarious laughter, and then come back and say, wait, what, what did I miss? And the problem was is you didn't wait for it. Somewhere in your mind, you determined that the 15 seconds longer that you were going to be required to wait was just too much, and you weren't willing to give that. So here's the thing. I think it's true that human beings generally across the board have a natural negative perspective when it comes to waiting. I mean, wouldn't you think it kind of odd if you ask somebody, hey, what are the things that you love? If somebody said, I love waiting. <laughs> Nobody loves waiting. What? Consider how you feel about the waiting line at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. See, even you groan. You, like, that's how we feel. Or a website that doesn't load quickly or being placed on hold with that annoying aggravating music or learning that your Amazon package is delayed by 18 hours oh my word right we just don't like to wait and yet think of how much of your life involves waiting stoplights traffic jams pregnancy callbacks for a play posting of grades waiting for a meaningful relationship, a job offer, medical tests, a call from a wayward child. I mean, I think it's pretty evident, isn't it, that waiting is sort of baked into our humanity. Every day that we live, there will be moments when we're called to wait. It's a part of our humanity. But I'm also going to argue today it's a central part of Christianity, not in the same way. The Bible commends and commands waiting. Like so many things throughout the Bible, it takes suffering and helps us to see it through a different lens. Even the crucifixion itself shows us the way that suffering can be transformed. And in so doing, God intends to transform our waiting. He intends to help us have a different perspective on the word patience. 
That's why the Old Testament and the New Testament talk about waiting and patience so often. That's why believers are commanded to be patient and to wait. In fact, from God's perspective, waiting is good. And yet here's the challenge, is that most of us usually think that waiting is a waste. We don't like to wait. We don't want to wait. Of all the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, we get those. Patience, who really wants to work on patience? So James is now wrapping up this book, and we're in verses 7 and 8, and this is the back end of a theme that began all the way in chapter 1 and verse 2. James said this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." So James is now taking this theme of steadfastness and patience in the middle of hardship, and he's sort of drawing this book to a close. Throughout the book of James, he's been trying to help us understand how to live in the real world. He's helped us with things like be quick to hear, slow to speak. He's helped us in chapter one with don't let anger win the day. Remember, the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. He's reminded us in chapter four to don't speak in a way that negates God's sovereignty. Remember, your life is a mist. James has cautioned us about using the dark arts to try and get what we want. So our text today just continues this theme and helps us to understand three particular truths that we need to remember when life is hard. And so I'm gonna suggest to you today that there's probably a lot of us that are in a season of waiting right now. There's something that you're hoping for that it's not quite there and it's hard. It could be something minor, it could be something major. Or it may be that you're walking alongside a friend right now who's in a season of waiting and you wonder, what do I do, how do I help? It may be that you need to hear this message and store it because you're gonna need it at some point in your lifetime or maybe in the near future. I can promise you that if you live long enough, you're gonna have extended seasons of waiting when you just don't want to wait anymore. And so what do you do when you're in that season? And trust me, we're going to be in that season a lot through the course of our lifetime. Well, James would tell us to be reminded of three particular truths. Here they are. Number one, waiting is commanded. Number two, waiting is common. And third, waiting is courageous. So it's commanded, it's common, and it's courageous. So let's look at this text today. I think it'll be helpful. First, waiting is commanded. Verse 7 James says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. There's the command. He states it very clearly, be patient. Now, right after that command, there's the word therefore. It's connected to what we learned last week about sometimes the environment in which we live can create a, a tough pressure. And in James' day, there was probably some sort of pressure as these people were common, maybe even peasants who were suffering in the society and culture in which they lived, and he's encouraging them to be patient. This, this hardship they were facing likely created a situation that at times just seemed hopeless, and so as a result, he's calling on them to wait, calling on them to be patient. He then says, be patient brothers, because he's speaking to them as a group, as a, as a whole, and next week, we'll look at verse 9. And uh, Greg Palis is going to help us understand how our words should reflect God's grace in the middle of hardship. 
But he says in verse nine, don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. He says that because friends can play a really helpful role or a really damaging role when you're in a season of waiting. Friends can come alongside and remind you of truths that you maybe would likely forget. Friends can also be nasty and really hurtful when you're in a season of waiting. And what James is encouraging us here is to realize that the community of faith is really important as we walk through hardship together that we not allow internal verbal combat to become a part of the community of faith. And the reason that verbal combat becomes a part of our Um, life and environment and culture is because when we are waiting or when we're suffering, it's easy to justify sinful responses. I mean, who among us hasn't justified saying something sinful with this statement? Well, I'm just frustrated. As if that gives you a pass on all ungodliness. Jesus standing before him says, hey, why did you say that in 2021? I was frustrated. Jesus isn't going to go, oh, yeah, okay, I get that. That makes sense. Or I'm scared, or this is unfair, or I'm sick of this, or I want my life back, or I'm hopeless. So all those pressures are real, but one of the things I think has been helpful in the book of James is to be reminded that there are, there are alternatives to being sinful. <laughs> Could you just put that in the back of your mind this week? That you don't have to sin. If you're a follower of Jesus, your only option is never just to sin. But here's the thing. When we're in the middle of a hard season or when we're in the middle of a waiting season, it's pretty easy to convince ourselves that patience, endurance, and waiting is a waste. And when we go there, it's easy to justify all sorts of sinful responses. So one of the hopes of this message that I have for you is that this will help to maybe kind of reset your thinking about the season of waiting that you're in or about the value of patience. Rather than seeing patience as, well, I can't do anything, so I might as well be patient. No. Rather to see patience actually as something that you can actively embrace. That's why James says, be patient. So what does that mean? Think of it this way. The the words mean long-suffering. In fact, this word is so important that James mentions it three times in these two verses. Look at verse seven. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. See, James mentions this word three times. The idea is whatever you think appropriate for how much you should endure... Whatever level or perspective that you have on this thing has happened and it deserves this level of patience, James is saying that to be patient means that you're longer suffering than what would be normally acceptable in your mind and heart. What James is essentially saying here is that being patient or long-suffering is resetting your expectations on the extent of your suffering. I mean, that's, that's the issue, isn't it, when we become impatient? So you're at a stoplight. You're waiting for the light to turn green. In your head, there's an appropriate amount of time to wait. Right? I mean, that's what a stop sign or stoplight does. It makes you wait. So if the stoplight only makes you wait for half a second, it's not really a stoplight. It's a yield 
light, right? I mean, so, right? so there's, a, there's a, an appropriate amount of waiting, but if that gets to be too long, suddenly now your assessment is, this is too long because something has happened that you've determined this is beyond what I should be expected to experience, and that's when long-suffering gives way to impatience. So to be patient, listen carefully, is to respond in a way that's not normal. To be patient is to respond in a way that's not typical based upon either other people or our expectations. So what you need to know, and this was super helpful for me, is my impatience is directly related to my assessment of what is appropriate or what I deserve or don't deserve. And our perception of the value of the distance of time that we're dealing with or the extent of it is the essence of the problem when it comes to patience. Some of us are incredibly impatient because we think it shouldn't be this way. We're impatient because it shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't be this long. But it's all a matter of perspective. And James wants to reset your perspective on what you have expectations about. Give me an illustration. So imagine you're making chocolate chip cookies. You've got to put them in a bowl, got to put all the ingredients, put the chocolate chips in, and of course, many of you, including myself, must taste the, the batter and the, the cookie dough just to be sure, because after all, we all need more bacteria in our gut. But uh, in order for those cookies to be completed, though, you put them on a cookie sheet, and then what do you do next with them? You put them in the oven. Baking the cookies are a part of the process of making the cookies. You put them in the oven, bake them for a certain period of time, but imagine a child sees you making cookies and they're standing in front of the oven and they begin to complain, why is it taking so long? And it's only been 30 seconds. You would say, well, honey, these cookies need to bake. The child's expectation and lack of knowledge about the need of the gap between the cookies being put in and the cookies being ready just verifies that they don't understand how cookies are made. But what if your oven doesn't work very well and you can only get the oven up to 150 degrees and it takes three and a half hours to bake cookies? In that case, you hear the groan, you'd say it's time to get a new oven. Why? Because cookies should take about 25 minutes, they shouldn't take three hours. I mean, pork shoulder should take three hours, but not cookies. Well, why? Well, it's just because of the difference of the thing that you're dealing with. Your expectation affects how you think about whether or not something is appropriate to wait for. See, that's the issue. We think that certain things should be easier than what they actually are, and our patience runs out because of a limitation of our perspective. And that's why James says, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. So he sets our expectation on the future. He sets our expectation on what Christians believe. So this is a, a theological statement for the coming of the Lord. It's a statement as to where everything is heading. It's a statement about coming victory, about how Jesus is going to make everything right. And that's why patience can be commanded. Because patience looks beyond the immediate and looks to the future. It looks beyond our expectations. Waiting humbly acknowledges my inability to control everything in my life. That's why I don't like to wait. Patience stakes its claim on our hope in God. Patience stakes its claim on who God is 
not what I want. Ben Patterson, in his book on waiting, summarizes this really well when he says this, waiting is not just the thing we have to do until we get what we hope for. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what we hope for. The problem is, is that most of us don't want to become that thing. We just want our thing. And in this way, hear me, waiting and patience and suffering is an active way in which we express obedience to God. So don't think of waiting as the thing you do when you can't do anything. Waiting is actually a command, something that you embrace. Patience isn't the last resort. Rather, waiting takes aim at my need to be in control. Waiting takes aim at my need for revenge. Waiting takes aim at my need and desire to become bitter. In that respect, waiting is an act of war on my own self-sufficiency. So waiting isn't what I do when I've got nothing else to do. Waiting is the thing I do because I'm nervous about what I would do. And that's why it's commanded. That's why James says, be patient, brothers. Now here's the second thing. It's not only commanded, waiting is also common. So the second truth that James identifies here is that waiting is very, very familiar. And part of the challenge with our understanding of seasons of patience or seasons of waiting is that we treat them as, they are, as if they are unusual. But what if we could come to see waiting not as unusual, but as something that we should expect? We should expect to wait. Yet everything within our culture kind of goes the other direction. We value not waiting. James says in verse 7, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. So James, again, uses an agrarian illustration. He talks about a farmer. I mean, if you're going to be a farmer, you have to know how to wait, right? When you're planting, when you're growing, when you're harvesting crops, there is so much that is out of your control, there's a lot of things that you can do, things that you must do, things like getting the field prepared, planting seeds. But then, after all that's done, the farmer steps back, and as he does nothing, something is happening. And a farmer knows that this is part of what it means to be a farmer. If he's nervous about his plants and whether or not they're growing, he begins to till them up, he'll ruin the plants. Instead, what he has to do is plant the seed, back off, and wait to see them grow. Kurt Richardson, a commentator on this text, says the farmer must labor without knowing what the weather will bring or the degree of the abundance of crops. So the farmer has to wait. He has to wait for the precious fruit of the earth, according to the text. And here's the thing. When the farmer is waiting, is there anything that's happening? Yes. There's all kinds of things that are happening. The farmer isn't doing anything. He's looking at his field, and in the soil, those seeds are beginning to germinate. They're beginning to grow. Remember that, like, sixth-grade experiment that you did with little bean sprouts and the, um, the paper towel, and you saw the, 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 the sprout begin to grow? That's what's happening in the context of the earth, but the farmer can't do it, yet his waiting and his patience are absolutely essential. He doesn't create the activity, but while he waits, activity is happening. Some of you need to know right now, you're waiting, but God is still working. You may feel like nothing is happening. That only means you don't see what's happening. Isaiah chapter 64 says this, for no, for of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. 
The farmer is dependent on the early and the late rains. The early rains make the seeds grow. The late rains make the crop strong. And the farmer can't control either. No more than you can control all the dynamics that are in play. Some of you just need to know, your life isn't out of control. Your life is out of your control. If the farmer doesn't embrace waiting, he needs to find a new profession. See, there's so many things in life that we just simply can't control, and sometimes we just need to embrace that reality and be okay with it. So a number of months ago, my wife and I decided that our dog, Stella, we'd love to have her have some puppies. And so she did, had three puppies eventually. And it was interesting because we had never done this before and I was heading on a trip and we had a due date that we'd been given and the due date was actually off. And I was gonna leave the, a day or so around that, that due date and Stella wasn't moving into labor. And I really wanted to have this experience with my wife. Our dog was giving birth to puppies. I wanted to be there, wanted to see it, wanted to help her and all of that. And yet there was absolutely nothing I could do. I'm, I'm, I'm literally walking around the house like a dad waiting for his wife's water to break or something. Like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Is there any tricks that we can do? You know, because anything, there's nothing that we can do. We simply have to wait. And so literally on a Sunday afternoon, I lay down in bed and I prayed, Lord, I know you got a lot going on right now. And in your scheme of things, my dog having puppies really doesn't matter a whole lot, probably. But Lord, it'd be really nice if before I left on this trip, if this dog could have these puppies so my wife and I could share this experience. And thankfully, the Lord answered that feeble prayer. But it was a good reminder that when you're dealing with something like an animal or crops, there's so much that you just simply cannot control. Your life is completely out of your ability to manipulate. And you know, that's quite true across the board, isn't it? Farmers aren't the only ones that know that. Quite frankly, Christians should know that. Do you know how much of the Bible addresses waiting? How much of it's baked in to how God thinks about his engagement with us? For example, every day there's a morning and an evening, and as a human being, you, re you require sleep. So about a third of your life is waiting to wake up, and God's designed it that way. Or think of Noah inside the ark. It has to wait as the waters subside in Genesis 8. Abraham and Sarah wait for years for the promised son Isaac in Genesis 15 to 16. Moses waits for 40 years in the wilderness before receiving the burning bush, calling in Exodus 7. The deliverance through the Red Sea requires waiting on the Lord at the brink of the Red Sea as Pharaoh is coming in Exodus 14. The giving of the Ten Commandments. Think of this. Moses goes up to the mountain and God could have given him the Ten Commandments and sent him right back down the same day. But no, God builds 40 days of waiting into the equation. And it's during those 40 days of waiting, by the way, that the golden calf happens. And why did that happen? Because the people of Israel refused to wait. Saul is disqualified as king because of his failure to wait for Samuel. Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness before the launch of his ministry in Matthew chapter 4. I could go on and on and on and on. There are so many examples. Even take the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, God in his infinite wisdom could have allowed Jesus to die and immediately raised him from the dead. But no, God puts him in a grave and makes the disciples wait. Even now, here we are. Knowing and understanding the message of the gospel, waiting for the return of Jesus. So of all people on earth, the people who ought to be most familiar with the value of waiting, it ought to be Christians. And we ought to realize waiting is common. 
So we ought not be surprised with waiting. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11 says this, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Notice this, waiting and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these... Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So the point of all this is for you to realize that waiting is extremely common. And yet our culture doesn't value waiting. Claudia Peppel in an article called Why We Hate to Wait writes this, waiting according to the collective experience in Western culture is considered an imposition. Anyone who has to wait for a delayed train or plane, an appointment, or a free table in a restaurant becomes impatient, often angry, and even aggressive. Apparently, it doesn't work to see this waiting as a gift of time. Instead of enjoying it, it becomes torture. I just think that's the way the world rolls. And what if Christians could see waiting differently? What if we saw waiting and patience as something commanded, as something is common. And then third, what if we saw waiting as courageous? What if you could see patience not as the thing that you have to do when you don't know what to do, but the thing you get to do because you know who's in control? James says this, you also be patient. He emphasizes it again. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Again, the coming of the Lord is at hand. James is pulling on their theological vision. What do they know to be true? He's reminding them that the Lord is going to return, that victory is assured, that Jesus is going to make everything right, that James is calling here for Christians to live with a longer-range perspective and to let go of the frustration of their present circumstances. This kind of waiting acknowledges that Jesus isn't dead, he's alive. This kind of courageous waiting pushes against the natural tendency to only focus on what we can see or what we perceive. Instead of throwing up our hands and saying, nothing is happening, we can say, God is at work. I just don't know what's happening. If embracing patience can be seen as a command that leads to obedience, if embracing waiting could be seen as common leading to a necessity of wisdom, then here we see waiting as courage that then takes faith. It takes faith to wait. And some of us need to not wait because we have to. Some of us need to wait because we choose to. So many of us only wait because we are made to, because we don't know what else to do. But what if we got on the other side of that and said, before making this decision, I'm going to choose to wait. I'm going to choose to be patient. You see, waiting means I'm not in control. That's why we don't like it. It means I feel the tension, the disappointment, the fear and to establish my heart, when James says, establish your heart, he's, he's pleading with them to be reminded of what they know to be true. Throughout the Bible, there are exhortations to be reminded that God is going to help us. 1 Peter 5. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Listen, when you put yourself in a position on waiting on God, 
You not only establish your own heart, but God helps to establish you. He gives you grace. So rather than seeing this season that you're in as some frustrating moment that you can't get what you want, instead, why not, Christian, embrace it as this is a moment when God himself is going to help me. I'm helpless. I don't know what to do. But in my waiting, God is going to help me. Or listen to Psalm 27, 13. I believe that I should look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, so wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Or Psalm 31. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful. He abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. So be strong. Let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Or Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me. He heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock. He made my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. And many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Listen to me. When do you need Psalm 40? Do you need Psalm 40 when everything's working? You need Psalm 40 when you got a plan and it's all just going right according to schedule? You need Psalm 40 when it seems as though everything around you is being blessed and helped and nothing's being opposed. That's not when you need Psalm 40. You need Psalm 40 when your life is like, what? How? Oh, no. Again? You need Psalm 40 when tears are in your eyes, when there are frustrations in your soul, when there are pains in the midst of your environment, when you wonder, God, where are you? How is this going to work? I don't know what I'm doing. God, this seems impossible. That is when the Bible says, be patient, my brothers. Establish yourself in the Lord. Wait patiently for him, and he will act. Waiting is not a waste. Patience is not pointless. In fact, it's commanded, it's common, it's courageous. So embrace patience. Embrace the waiting. Wait for it. Wait for him. And he'll help you. Lord Jesus, we don't like seasons where we don't know what's going on or when it seems as though one thing after another pummels us. We're thankful for this word in the Bible that calls us as Christians to know that what we believe really works. So God, here we are. We live between the promise that you made and the promise that Jesus is yet to return and we're in a world that's filled with all kinds of brokenness and things that are hard and so we just wanna say, God, help us to be patient. Help us to know what it means to establish our hearts. Help us to declare war on our own self-sufficiency by waiting upon you. God, grant us grace to wait. We pray this in Christ's name.